0: For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Good morning, everyone. You know, when Tammy sang that first song, Look What the Lord Has Done, I was thinking, Chris had asked me on Friday, what do you want to entitle your testimony? I said, well, it's just my testimony. I should have entitled it, Look What the Lord Has Done, because if it wasn't for what God did... I wouldn't be standing here this morning. God is a great God. All those songs this morning just fit in so perfectly because God is a great God. He's an awesome God. He healed my body. He touched my mind. You know, first of all, I want to begin my testimony. And this is a testimony to encourage you to stand strong in your belief, not to glorify what I went through, but to encourage you to stand strong in what you're fighting. First of all, I want to thank my family, my wife my wonderful wife and my children and my grandchildren, I can't express my gratitude for what they did for me throughout my recovery. They spent countless hours, month, a month with me, spending, sleeping with me, spending the night making sure I had everything I needed, making sure if I needed ice or I needed water during the middle of the night. They were right there. Uh, they devoted their life. I didn't know at the time that I developed COVID that my entire family had COVID. Because I was in the hospital, and they weren't telling me what they were going through. But all of my family, my wife, my daughters, my grandchildren, were encountering COVID also. It just, it didn't get as severe as my case was. But first of all, thank you, thank you all, my family, for everything you did for me. Number two, I want to thank my church family. I know that you all praying for me, standing with me in agreement. Um, Thank you for the flowers, the food, the cards. Most of all the prayers uh, that strengthened me and encouraged me to continue my fight. I realized that even though you were praying for me, this fight was mine. I had to have a firm foundation which to stand. Pastor preached several weeks ago about having a destiny and a goal and having a sure foundation. And my foundation was based on a confession that I had made when I first went into the hospital Well, even before that, when I first began to get sick, I stood on Romans 8.11, and that says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, I shortened that, and I said, If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, it's quickening my mortal body. I said that verse over and over and over again. Every opportunity I would get, I would quote that verse, in my, whether it be in my spirit or whether it be vocally. At first I couldn't vocalize things, but I would repeat that in my spirit, and it became my foundational spirit. Every time the enemy would come to me and say, Chuck, you're not going to make it, you're never going to get out of the hospital, you're going to die, I would quote that scripture in my spirit. I would continue to stand upon that, you know, a pastor from the very beginning, when he first came here 41 years ago, taught us the principles of faith and to take hold of a certain things. Uh, a lot of people feel that everyone else can do it for you. You can help me, you can encourage me, but you can't fight my battle. I had to do that myself. And being based and founded on the Word gave me that strength to continue to go on. You know, everybody has to have a sure foundation and there, God has a plan for everybody's life. And in Jeremiah 19:11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Well, the enemy was telling me, you have no future, you have no hope. You're going to die, you're not going to get out of here. But I had a future and I had a goal to achieve. One of my goals was that my granddaughter, Mariah Bridges, was planning to get married in November. November 21st was supposed to be her wedding. Well, I was in the hospital in June, I went in June, and that kept going through my mind. You're not going to rob me from having the opportunity to celebrate with my granddaughter. Um, And and I was on oxygen and all that, but we'll get to all that. And I said, I'm going to be off oxygen by the time my granddaughter gets married. Well, that was November, November 21st. Of course, COVID hit really hard then, and her wedding was delayed, and... She didn't get married until this past April the 17th, which was a beautiful celebration. But anyway, uh, my mind was determined and set that I was going to be at her wedding, but the enemy kept telling me, you're not going to do it, you're never going to make it. Well, I'm going to go back to Wednesday, June 24th of 2020. It was a normal Wednesday morning. I got up, I came to church, I I worked, I got ready for service that evening, we did pastor's notes, Um, I sat in the pew, I enjoyed the message, Toward the end of the service, I got a little bit queasy—not really sick, sick, but just a little queasy. So I called my wife before I went home, and I said to her, "Don't bother fixing me anything to eat because I'm not feeling great. I'm going to go right to bed when I get home." Little did I know that that would begin the fight for my life. That night was the—it started the fight for my life. My temperature began to rise. I don't know—it was 102, 103, 104—and for the next. I don't know how many days my temperature continued to rise and I was in bed. My wife was continuing to force water on me and force food on me and uh, I didn't want to eat. I couldn't hold anything down. I couldn't really drink but she was, kept insisting you have to drink, you have to keep hydrated. I didn't know that she was in contact with the hospital because you know COVID had just really began uh, in a major uh, thrust and so she was getting some advice from the hospital that I needed to be hydrated, I needed to have water, uh, I began to get weaker and weaker. I began to n- being able not to breathe real good. My breathing became shallow. Um, but she continued to try to force feed me and, and try to get me, you know, to drink water. Then uh, they also suggested that she take me to get a COVID test. I said, I don't want to go get a COVID test. I have the flu, honey. I'll be over this in a few days and, you know, it'll all be okay. She said, no. The doctor said, the hospital said, go get a COVID test. So on Saturday morning, was June 27th, uh, we went to the clinic, and of course you drive up, you don't get to go in, you don't get to interact with anybody, you call ahead, you tell them you're going, you drive around back, they come out to the car, they swab your nose, they take your temperature, She said your temperature is high, uh, we'll let you know in a couple of days what the results are from this. Well, I went back home again believing I only had the flu, I wasn't going to get a, a positive result, uh, but I kept getting weaker and weaker and sicker and sicker. My wife kept forcing water on me, kept forcing food on me. Well, finally, my test came back uh, on the 30th of June, and they said, you were tested positive for COVID. Well, I even thought then, oh, it's no big deal. I'm going to get over this. It's like a flu. I'm going to weather through this. Uh, But by that Thursday, I could barely breathe. I could barely catch my breath. And my wife said, "Uh, you have to drink, honey. You have to eat. I said, listen, I'm dying. I'm not able to eat. I'm not able to drink. I cannot breathe. She immediately called 911. The paramedics came. They, they assessed me. They got me into the ambulance. And they took me to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, the, the intake nurse said to me, where have you been? We've been waiting for you for four hours. Well, I didn't know that they were stabilizing me in the, um, in the ambulance, getting me ready to go to the hospital. It took four hours to take a 15-minute jaunt from my house to the hospital. When I got there and the intake nurse sent me in, uh, a doctor friend of ours, who doesn't work real often, was on call that night. She came into the room, and she saw me. She said, Chuck, what are you doing here? I said, well, I just wasn't feeling well. I, bar- I could barely talk at that time. It was just little words coming out. And she said to me, don't worry. We're going to get you admitted. We're going to take care of you. I didn't know that she had called my family by then and said, you know, this is grim. It doesn't look good. He's, he's in serious condition here. But we're going to do everything we can for him. I was probably one of the first people admitted to the medical center with COVID. Uh, there were several who came after me but I was one of the first ones so they were doing a lot of experimenting. They really didn't know a whole lot about COVID. Uh, the first day I was admitted I, they admitted me to a room and immediately they transferred me to this DCU unit because my oxygen levels had dropped so low and I didn't have any idea what oxygen levels were or what my heart rate would be but since then I've discovered you know by, by going online finding out that your heart rate should be between Uh, 60 and 100, and your oxygen levels should be between 95 and 100. Well, my oxygen levels were down in the 40 somewhere, and when I would get up even to try to walk, my heart rate would go to 150, 160, which could damage your heart. If if For any prolonged period of time, it could damage your heart. Uh, The first day I was in CCU, another doctor friend of mine, Dr. Ben, who a lot of you people know, who attended here some time ago, he saw my name on the admit sheet, and he came into my room. Of course, you had to be all garbed up with hat and mask and gown. And he said to me, "Chuck, I saw your name out there. Can I pray with you?" What? Said so, certainly. I was happy to see him; it was a familiar face. He said, "So he prayed with me, and the Holy Spirit dropped into my spirit at that moment." The Holy Spirit said to me, "Ask Doctor Ben to look at your lungs. He's a pulmonary doctor." I thought to myself, "This is ridiculous." He's, I have all these doctors around me. I mean, there were a host of doctors and nurses around me. I don't need Dr. Ben to look at me. I've got all these doctors here. So I ignored it. Never ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe had I initially listened to that prompting, I wouldn't have progressed as badly as I did. But I didn't. I ignored it completely. Um... And my family also was in contact with a nephew. One of my nephews is the uh, head of the emergency department at Dartmouth Medical Center in Lebanon, New Hampshire. And they would call him and he would call back and he would tell them what questions to ask the medical center and the doctors. Because, you know, this was all new to us. We didn't know anything about COVID. Most of us didn't know anything about COVID. So um, he would tell them different things. And he told my wife, he said, call the doctor there and tell them to give your husband uh, hydrochloroquine. So my wife did, and she put it on speakerphone with him, and the doctor was in talking to me, and she said, "Uh, you know, we would like my husband to go on hydrochloroquine. He's what? He said, we don't do that. That's not going to help. You know, it it did help, uh, but I didn't go on it. They wouldn't wouldn't put me on it. He said, what I do have is remdesivir. You know, if you want to go on remdesivir, it's a five-day period. Uh, You do a shot a day for five days. Uh, The shots cost $530 a day uh, for every shot. And I said, no, I, I don't want it. You know, I don't want remdesivir. He said, we'd also like to put you on a ventilator. I said, absolutely not. I'm not going on a ventilator. Uh, the reason, one reason I didn't want to go on a ventilator was uh, right before I went into the hospital, one of my cousins had called and was talking to my wife. My wife was saying that he can't breathe. You know, he's going to the hospital. And um, she said to her, and I heard her, she said, don't let them put him on a ventilator because if they put him on a ventilator, he'll never come off of it. Well, that struck a fear in my heart, which I shouldn't have had a fear because I knew God was in control, but it struck a fear in my heart and I told them I, I refused, absolutely refused to go on the ventilator. Uh, the doctor said, okay. I told him I didn't want to do remdesivir either. Well, my wife called me and she said, honey, I think maybe you should try this uh and see what it does for you. I said, okay. So I, the doctor came back in again and he said to me, you have to make a decision quickly. We only have eight, uh, enough for eight patients of this remdesivir because it's new. And I said, when well, no, I didn't. But So then the next day uh, he came in, I said, well, do you still have the remdesivir? He said, we do. I said, well, I'm willing to try that. So I started this uh, injection of remdesivir every day for five days. I was in CCU still yet. At the end of the five days, he said to my wife and to me, uh, you know, the only thing we did was video chat because my wife couldn't be there. Um, I could barely use the phone. I was so weak, I couldn't get up, I couldn't do anything. Um, The doctor said, well, remdesivir didn't do anything for him because he was so far along in COVID that if had we caught him quicker, it may have done something. But it didn't do anything for him. Well, they said to me in uh, in the CCU unit, You can't come out of CCU because your oxygen levels are so low. But they wouldn't tell me what my oxygen levels were. The only way I could find out what my stats were, I would take my phone and hold it up and do the reverse thing and take a picture of the monitors. And then, (laughs) thank God for cell phones. (laughs) I would then send those pictures to my wife, and then she would forward them off to my nephew in, in Vermont, and then they would go back and forth as to what was happening. And I still didn't know the severity of my case there. Um, um, but anyway, I would send those pictures off and thank, once again, thank God for cell phones because I was able to listen to the Bible, I couldn't read, I couldn't do anything like that, but I had on my, on my phone the Bible and that would read it to you and during my stay in the hospital I read the whole Bible to, from Genesis to Revelation, to clear, the whole thing. And I listened to Brother, I don't know if any of you uh, have ever got Brother Hagen's healing tape, we have them in the bookstore. They're awesome. It's nothing but Brother Hagen quoting healing scriptures. Now I and I had that on my phone also, and I listened to those healing scriptures multiple times a day. After I'd listened to the Bible, I'd read so many chapters. It would read to me so many chapters. I would play those healing scriptures over and over and over again. And every time the nurse or anybody would come in and say, you know, it doesn't look good or this, I would go back to Romans eight eleven. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me and is quickening my mortal body. And then I would put those healing scriptures back on again. They also were giving because I wasn't a lot out of bed. I was bedfast for 21 days. They did not get me up out of bed for 21 days. Uh, they had me on Lovenox, which is a blood center uh, to keep you from getting blood clots while you're laying in bed. But you're still supposed to do some action. You know, you just can't lay around because you know things happen. But I was in bed for the 21 days. The nurses would come in three times a day just to bring my food and to give me medicine. Other than that, I had no contact with anybody. I did. I was able, my wife would call me every morning on the phone, and I was able to listen to her talk to me and encourage me, pray with me. But I really couldn't respond back to her because I was so weak. Um, in my room, they had me in a room at the hospital that had a big window. I mean, it was a beautiful big window. But outside, I was on the second floor. Outside the window was nothing but huge air conditioners. I couldn't see a tree. I could barely see the daylight. Um, it was like I was in a prison. I was like I was confined. And I always tell my wife and other people when they ask me, these people that are in nursing homes now, and they're locked up for a year, they can't see their loved one, it, it's terrible. To not have that physical touch or that physical love of somebody, it, it doesn't help them get well at all. You know, had they allowed someone to come in and just sit with me and talk with me, my loved ones, it would have, you know, really encouraged me. But they didn't allow that. Uh, uh, just having um, the telephone was wonderful because I was able to listen to the scriptures and listen to the, um, uh, the healing scriptures. And then I would pray in the spirit, sometimes inwardly, and sometimes if I had the strength, I would pray outwardly. And when the nurses would come in to give me my food, they probably thought I was crazy. But, you know, I really didn't care. Because I knew my God and I knew where I stood and I don't care who knew that I was a Christian and who knew that I was speaking in tongues and uh, whether, a lot of them, a lot of the nurses were Christians, a lot of them understood, many of them didn't. Uh, I had a lot of people at the hospital who worked at the hospital who knew I was in, who would write little notes on my, um, um, my meal, meal papers, you know, praying for you, little scriptures uh, uh, and they would bring food in and I couldn't eat. I mean, first of all, hospital food is terrible, number one. Number two, you know, when you live with an Italian wife and you get all these home-cooked meals, you're going to eat hospital food. Number two, I just wasn't able to eat. And they would bring me um, that, those drinks, the drink, supplement to drink, insure, I think they were. And, and they were lousy. You know, me, I don't like anything milky. Uh, I don't like milk. I don't like vanilla ice cream. I don't like custards. Uh, but they would bring me these to drink. I could barely get those down because they just were offensive to me. Uh, I was trying the best I could to eat and to stay strong, but... I just couldn't do it. I lost 30 pounds in the first 21 days I was in the hospital. Uh, the social worker, she would peek her head in the door every day, uh, Mr. Cirelli, uh we're going to have to send you to a nursing home. Um, I said, no, 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 no. I'm going home. Mr. Sorelli. you're never going home. You're going to a nursing home. You can't go home. You have to make a decision because there's only so many nursing homes that will take COVID patients. I'm not going home. I, I mean, I'm not going to a nursing home. I am going home. My family is there. Mr. Sorelli, you're not going home. The social worker called my wife one day and told her, I need the numbers of people closest to you. Uh, your husband is in serious shape. My wife was really upset. She called my girls. Tammy ran over and they began to pray in the spirit and intercede and cast down whatever the doctors and nurses were saying, even though it was a fact. They were standing on God's word for what, you know, what, what was happening. Uh, uh, and once again, the social worker insisted that I make a decision that I had to go to a nursing home and I just, I refused. I said, absolutely not, I'm not going to a nursing home. Uh, if I'm going to die, I'm going to go home and die. I'm not going to die in a nursing home. But I had faith that I wasn't going to die because I had my mind set on getting out of there and overcoming this, even though I was so sick. Um, I would tell the doctors every day, I just want to go home, please let me go home. And they would say, well, Mr. Sorelli, you're not able to go home. You're not strong enough to go home. You need to be rehabilitated. You need to go to a nursing They I, I believe that they just thought I was going to die and let me lay there for 21 days. They didn't see any hope in it. So really, they didn't exercise me. They didn't send in ther- for the first 21 days. They didn't send in therapy for me. They just let me lay there. Uh, the day that... I finally convinced the doctor, she was a woman doctor. I didn't know any of these doctors because your PCP can't go into the hospital anymore. These were all new people. Uh, A lot of them were foreign people. Uh, The the main doctor was a woman doctor. I I still don't know her name. Um, She came in, and every day I would say, I want to go home. Please send me home. No. One day, finally, it was on on July 23rd, she said, okay, we're going to discharge you. You know, since you don't want to go to a nursing home. We're going to discharge you. We're going to let you go home. My wife called me that day and she said, honey, I think that we should call Dr. Ben. This was the doctor who met me in the emergency in the CCU unit and prayed for me. And I, the Holy Spirit told me to ask him to look at me. And I told her, don't call him because if he, you call him, he's going to keep me in the hospital and I'm not going home. They've agreed to send me home. I'm coming home. She said, okay. No, I said, I'm not staying in the hospital another day. Well, my daughters came to pick me up at the hospital, and my granddaughters, they came to pick me up at the hospital. And when my children uh, saw me, they couldn't believe it. They tell me later, they couldn't believe it. I had lost 30 pounds. You could see my clavicle bones. You could see my skin was hanging. Um, It was a beautiful summer day, and as they wheeled me out, I could barely get out of the wheelchair to move myself into the car. But once I got into the car and they shut the door, I began to pray in the Spirit and thank God for releasing me from that prison. You know, uh, my girls thought I was crazy too. You know, I just was so excited as I would pass and see the trees. I'm seeing the trees. I'm so happy and so excited to be out of that hospital. When I got home, my son in laws met me at home and they brought a wheelchair out to the car, got me into the wheelchair, wheeled me up to my front door, put the wheelchair up, got me into the house. And my family had arranged our whole house so that I could be close to the kitchen and bathroom. And they had uh, recliners in my dining room and they put me in, into this recliner. And I, that's where I stayed for the next two weeks. I wasn't able to move. I wasn't able to get up out of that chair, even to go to the bathroom. Uh, they would try to feed me. I still wasn't eating much. Uh, the intake nurse came to the house. For, they scheduled therapy for me. Now they scheduled therapy. So the intake nurse came to the house to, 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 to assess me. And, um, well, she didn't tell me until later, and I'll get to that, what she said later. Um, she looked at me and she intake me. She said, we're going to have people come in, and we're going to have people work with you. So um, they did, they scheduled people to come in four days a week. And when they came in, I was still on oxygen 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and my oxygen rate was at six, and they wanted me at five when I was sitting, six when I was moving around. Well, I didn't move around much because I couldn't. Well, the first day that the therapist came and she got me up on the walker, I bet you I was up for three or four seconds and I just almost collapsed. I just could, I couldn't do it, I couldn't do anything. And, but it began then to build a regimen for me to again, get stronger and to rebuild my, my strength. Uh, at first I was very weak. But each day I grew a little stronger and stronger. But I got very tired. But I would keep going back to Romans 8:11. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, quickening my mortal body. No matter what thoughts came to me, what the devil would put in my mind, I quoted that scripture a hundred times, times a day, over and over and over. Well, then on August the 7th, I just I could barely breathe. Uh, even though I was on oxygen seven days a week, 24 hours a day, I couldn't breathe. I would try to gasp, and um, it just wouldn't go anywhere. So we decided to send me back to the emergency room. But this time, before I went back to the emergency room, they called Dr. Ben, the doctor who met me in the emergency room. And uh, he said, "I will send him to the emergency room. I will meet him at the emergency room. So I get to the emergency room at 2.30. They admitted me into CCU, and Dr. Ben was there. He met me there. He stayed with me that entire day up until... Uh, 12.30 in the, in the morning uh, the, of the next day, and he said to me, we're going to run all these tests on you, which they didn't run before. He ran an EKG. He ran a CAT scan. He ran uh, uh, just dozens of tests. And he said, I'm calling a doctor in from Pittsburgh, Dr. Patel, and he's going to do a catheterization on you and go into your lungs. Normally, catheteris- catheterizations go into your heart to find out if you have any clogged arteries. But he ran this catheterization into my lungs. And I was laying on the table. It was like 11.30 at night, and Dr. Ben was in the, in the operating room with me and this Dr. Patel, and his assistant, and I was laying on the table and I could barely breathe and he would have me hold your breath so he could get the wire through and I could barely hold my breath because I couldn't breathe and I was trying to gasp for air. But I could see on the monitor, I could see them going into my lungs and I could see my lungs were all hazy and um, the doctor it was telling Dr. Ben and Dr. Ben was telling me and he was on the phone with my wife, they were doing a live feed. And he said his lungs are 70% clogged with blood clots. He said, we're going to try to inject some medication into his lungs, try to dispel this so his body will absorb the blood clots. Um, he stayed with me the entire time until I was through with that procedure and I went back to CCU. You know, we kid with Dr. Ben and say, if it wasn't for God and Dr. Ben and Dr. Ferry, I'll get bring him up later, I would be dead. I wouldn't be standing here today. But Dr. Ben just took over the case, and he said to me that night, you know, when I came into your room that day, I wanted to tell you, I want to take over your case. But legally, doctors can't infringe on other doctors' cases. They can't come in and say that. You have to ask them to be a part of it. Had I asked, did exactly what the Holy Spirit said and asked him, it would have worked, you know. But I didn't do it, and I think I paid for that. Um, the next morning, they said, well, we're going to do a Doppler on you, which I had never done a Doppler before. We're going to see about these blood clots. So they did a Doppler on my legs and thighs, and they found that my legs and thighs were completely clogged with blood clots. And Dr. Ben said, that's what I figured, and I figured that that's where the blood clot broke loose, those blood clots broke loose and went to your lungs. He said, uh, I believe that I had the blood clot before I left the hospital uh, the first time. I believe they didn't check it, and That's why I had to go back into the hospital. But anyway, had I listened to the Holy Spirit, maybe I could have solved some of those problems. Uh, On Sunday, August the 9th, Dr. Dr. Ben called Dr. Ferry, who is a hematologist and also an oncologist in Beaver, a well-known doctor. He came into the room and uh, he he saw me and he said, you know, you tested positive four times for COVID. You know, they they test you all the time. He said, but I'm telling you, you're not contagious. You were contagious only for the first 14 days. You're not contagious now. You may test positive for months to come, he said, because it's in your system, but you are not contagious. I finally did get a test which was negative, praise God. And when I called after I got that test and I called Dr. Ben, and I said, you know, my test came back. He said, what was it? I said, it was negative. He just screamed on the other end of the phone, thank you, Jesus, you know. So, uh, but um, Dr. Ferry said to me, we're going to put you on blood thinners because of these blood clots, and you may be on these blood thinners for the rest of your life. And uh, we, I, They started me on heparin when I was in the hospital, but when they came out, then they put me on X- Xarelto. And, um, well, praise God, I have maybe 10 more days of Xarelto, 10, milli- 10 milligrams, and I will be free from blood thinners. Amen. That night after Dr. Ferry left, I had the best, best night of my whole sickness there. I was able to sleep. I was able to rest on my, side, my left side, which I wasn't able to do. Well, the next day he came back and he saw me, and he said, Oh, Pastor, I am so sorry. I called you Chuck yesterday. I should have called you Pastor. He recognized... He didn't recognize me at first because, you know, I had a full beard. They didn't shave me. My hair was a mess. It was long. You know, I, I was sick. I had all these tubes in me. He said... Uh, I know who you are. I see you with the other pastor coming into the hospital all the time, praying for people. I should have called you pastor. I said, listen, Dr. Ferry, titles aren't important. You call me Chuck, you know, and uh, that's what he did from there on and he called me Chuck. Uh, I continued to improve uh, and was released 10 days later. At that time, I wasn't worried about coming out because I knew that I was being taken care of. The first 21 days, it was like I was just laying there and they weren't doing anything for me. These 10 days, Dr. Ben was actively taking a part in my situation, making sure that everything I did was correct, uh, making sure that the nurses did everything. And I told him, I said, please don't put me in room 267. That was the room I had before. <laughs> he said, I won't. So he put me in 264, which had a beautiful view. And my family was able then to drive around the hospital and come down and they were able to wave at me through the hospital. Um, at first, the first night they came, Uh, I was there, and I was waving, and they were waving, and they were waving. They were excited to see me. They went home, and they called. They weren't waving at me. They were waving at the person in the next room who was waving also. (laughs) I said, you know, tomorrow I'll put my phone on, the flashlight my phone, and I'll wave it so you guys can see where I am. (laughs) Well, the second time I went back into the hospital, my family then would go to McDonald's or Wendy's or um, Applebee's, and they would bring food. They weren't allowed to bring it in, but they would bring the food to the desk, and then the desk would bring the food up to me. Then I began to eat a little because the food was a little better. You know, I like McDonald's, what can I say? Uh, and so I was getting stronger, it was getting better. Uh, I was so excited to be released that, that 10 days later, and once again I began to praise God and, and pray in the Spirit on the way home, and uh, my health care. My healthcare workers then told me that when they first came and assessed me, they didn't think it was possible that I ever get well. They thought th- th- I was their first COVID patient, number one. And they said, You were so weak, you look so bad, we didn't think you were going to make it, but we didn't want to tell you that then. Um, as the healthcare workers continued to come to the house, the one, one worker, especially her name was Amy, um, she was talking about her, her boyfriend, her fiance, who wanted her to go to church with him, and she just didn't want to. She, you know, she wasn't. Interested in going to church. And the more we talked to her and the more that we, uh, she visited with us, she accepted the Lord. Praise God. And she started attending a church in Aliquippa and she attends on a regular basis. Uh, it just thrilled my heart. And she even calls me from that time to time to see how I am. And she'll say, you are my first COVID patient. And I tell all my patients about you, how I didn't think you were going to make it. And how you had a miraculous um, healing in your life. And it, it just blessed my heart. Well, Dr. Ferry also, when I went to see him on my uh, last visit, which was in March, he said to me, um, you know what, uh, Chuck? He said, I tell everybody about you. He said, uh, I don't mention your name. I said, well, I, you can mention my name, Dr. Ferry. It's not a problem. He said, when I first came into the room and I saw you, I saw something different in you that I don't see in patients. I saw faith that you were going to make it. You were going to live and you weren't going to die. Now, I don't know Dr. Ferry's, um, religious background. Uh, I never did. I will ask him next time I go, though. I didn't ask him if he's a born again believer or, you know, what his books are. But he said, I saw something different. I believe he is a Christian. Uh, uh, he said, I saw something different in you. And I knew from that moment that you were not going to die. You were going to live. And that was my proclamation. I will live and not die to declare the works of the Lord. Dr. Ben, uh, when I went back to him in March also, and he listened to my lungs, uh, I was still on oxygen. Okay, I've been on oxygen all this while. I got another miracle that happened to me was uh, you, you don't, they, the insurance doesn't pay for a portable oxygen carrier for you. You have to pay for yourself. And it was for $3,800, $4,000. And I told my wife, well, you know, I want to go back to work. I want to get out. I want to go to my kids' ball games. I can't be strapped down with these huge tanks. I had these huge tanks at home that we would wheel around, and I had this this huge uh, oxygen compressor in the family room that I would wheel from there to the bedroom every day you know, with a 25-foot cord so I could breathe. And I said, I want to get one of these converters. And she said, okay. So I called the insurance company, and they said, uh, well, yeah, we'll pay for it. Not a problem. I said, well, my doctor said that you don't cover that. I have... um, UPMC, yeah, UPMC, highmark Mark. And he said, no, 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 we cover that. And I said, okay, send it to me. So they sent it to me. I got the portable thing, it was wonderful. It was just a little five pound box. You guys saw me carry it in church with me. I was able to breathe comfortably. Uh, I still was on level four, level three when I was sitting, level four when I was moving. And um, I had a 30 day trial on this. If I didn't like it, I could send it back out to 30 days and they would refund my money. less a, a, a restocking fee. Well, 31 days passed, and I get a letter in the mail from the insurance company, and they say, we denied your claim. We're not paying for your... your. I didn't care at the time because I told her I wanted it, you know. So um, I think we were in the car having lunch at McDonald's, and I called the insurance company, and I said to them, you know, I got this in the mail. I said, had you sent it a day earlier, I could have sent it back, and then they would have rented me one, but they wouldn't have paid for one. And she said, why don't you file a dispute? I said, well, you know... You're, you're saying that it's denied. Follow dispute. I said, the Holy Spirit came to me again and said, Tell her that when you talk to the guy, it said, We're recording this message. You know, So so I said to her, you, know, you record every message. Go back and listen to what the gentleman told me on the phone that he would, the insurance would cover this. Okay, we'll do that. About three days later, I get a letter in the mail saying, We've approved your claim. They sent me a check for 20% less the $4,000.30. Two hundred dollars, something like that, and so I was blessed. Amen. God worked out another miracle in my life. Um, Well, when I went back to Doctor Ben and he listened to my lungs and he said to me, uh, Ruth and I had gone the the, the first time to Doctor Ben before when they would come, the nurses would come, they would hear this wheezing and crackling in your lungs, like pneumonia. You know, you have a buildup in your lungs. Well, he listened to it. He took the stethoscope away and he jumped back and he said, Hallelujah! There's not a crackling in your lungs. There's nothing there. It's completely clear. I said, well, how about this oxygen? You're stay on the oxygen, he said, for a while longer. I said, okay. Well, the Mariah had changed her wedding date from November to April 17th. And I told my wife, I am not using this oxygen when I go into the wedding for Mariah. Just honey, the doctor wants you on it. You know, you need to stay on it. So when I went back in March then to both Dr. Ferry and Dr. Uh, ben, Dr. Ben said to me, well, how you doing? I said, well, I'm doing good. How's the oxygen? I said, well, I've been cheating a little here. I said, at night, I take the oxygen off. And I, I would wake up every couple hours and I had a pulse oxygen. You know, I mean, we've become so familiar with all these things, how to take your blood pressure, how to take your pulse, your oxygen rating, how to take your heart rate um, that... Uh, I would take my, my pulse ox, and my pulse ox would be normal. It would be like 95 to 98 while I was sleeping. He said, well, if it's that way, you can come off the oxygen. And, he, and I still had the oxygen on at the time. And, he, and Pastor Bill was with me at the time, I believe, in the office. He said, well, if, if you want to come off it, take it off now. Oh, my heavens. It was like I was liberated. I was set free. Took the oxygen off, and I haven't been on oxygen since that day. And I did go to my do- my granddaughter's wedding without oxygen, and you know, <laughs> well I just I want to give glory to God today, not to me, not to man, but to God to God be the glory for what he 's done in my life and how he 's brought me through, and he 's spared me from death and I believe it was because of the teachings that I received here. you know, my wife and I always We were married, we were Christians, we believed, and uh, Pastor Bill came in 41 years ago and taught us about faith, really faith. We stood in faith not knowing what faith was. Our son was just a baby, I was not four or five years old, and he fell out of a tree and he broke his leg, and the doctor said he'll be in braces, he'll never walk straight without a brace again. My wife and I kept believing that you gave us a son who was whole, and he's going to walk again. Not knowing the principles that Pastor Bill brought in 1979 to us, but we stood on that basis, and our son walks perfect today. Our, he, he came off the braces, he walks perfect, but it's because of the foundational teaching that we received here that I was able to set my heart on Romans eight eleven. the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in my body, quickening my mortal body, amen? And by standing on that, and that's why I said at the very beginning, it's a personal fight for each and every one of us. Your neighbor can't do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you. Your friends can't do it for you. People think because I say I received a healing or Pastor Bill will say this one received a healing that it, it can be done just because they said it. No, it's a personal fight. And it is a fight for your life. And I'm th- I thank God that I had that, f- that foundational teaching that I'm here today with you. Praise God. And you know, I'm not a person to get up and speak. I'm behind the scenes. You know, Pastor Bill's the minister here. I do all the back, the stuff behind the scenes. But I thought it was important that I share my testimony with you to encourage you that you too. I mean, there are a lot of you here who had COVID, who fought through it. There are a lot, a lot of people that are going to go through things in this life. You too can have a, a, a victory in your life if you stand strong on the foundation that you've built. Amen? Thank you.